So I thought we could talk tonight just about this evolution during our own lifetime. You know, sort of just sort of a broad brush look at um, how we got to where we are, right? So um, we can think about growing up. Um, growing up is one thing. Awakening isn't the same thing. Awakening isn't um, a mature state of adulthood where we, you know, finally perfect our adult nature. It's not that. It's not tot It's not unrelated either, but it's not the same thing. So let's let's just look at sort of um, three very broad. Uh, categories of our development, and then there's a, a fourth possibility. So the first one is just infancy, right? Um, up to maybe two years old. Um, most of us don't have uh, any recollection of that period um, because my, my guess is that it's because it was pre-verbal. Um, we didn't have a context for anything. Everything was just knew uh, we were present for it. Um, it was amazing, exciting, um, confusing. Um, uh, we certainly had um, things that made us feel good, you know, a full belly, you know, a, a warm embrace, comfortable bed, dry diaper, all of that feels feels good. So we had you know, physical needs, but we didn't verbalize those. We didn't, um, you know, tell ourselves stories about what may or may not happen in the future, what happened yesterday in the past. It was just um, all being totally present there for uh, each moment. We, we couldn't go to future and past because we didn't have the um, conceptual uh, mental abilities to do that. It was just just the present moment in awareness, um, fully present, but unaware of our own body-mind as a separate entity from anything that we were um, seeing in that field of awareness. Um, it took us, um, I don't know, a year and a half maybe, a year, year and a half, two years, um, to even discover that uh, this body um, had some relationship to what I was feeling internally. Um, you've maybe seen a child discover their toes for the first time. I mean, there's, you know, laughter and delight and giggling and uh, surprise and that they can see something apparently um, out in their field of vision. And yet, since it internally at the same time. So there, there is this state of grace initially, this state of um, spacious awareness that we talk about now, but it was happening for all of us at an early age in our life. Um, that, that period came to an end <laughs> relatively early in our life. So we may not have any conscious memory of that at all because we didn't have the verbal skills to put it into a concept that we could retell ourselves. It was all just pure experience, pure sensation. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 
the, the, the next phase is, is childhood, which we can take to be from early childhood up through teenagehood, just a broad category of transition from infancy to adulthood. So what usually kicked off this um, uh, transition into uh, childhood from infancy is um, actually depicted in the biblical story of Adam and Eve at the Garden of Eden. And um, if you remember the mythology of it, uh, what caused them to be ejected from the Garden of Eden was that they ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now that doesn't seem that bad, does it? I mean, eating the fruit of a tree of knowledge, you would think that would be, that'd be a good thing, you know? We become more knowledgeable. And that's, that is what happens, right? And probably the first bite that we took out of the apple was learning our name. Learning our name or learning, you know, mommy and daddy, their names. Um, and then, then we go from there. You know, so we get quickly introduced to more and more concepts about, you know, how we should behave, um, you know, what's socially appropriate, how we should act around other people, how we should be responsible. Um, and very early on, we learn that what we are is separate. And uh, we can see this in, you know, two or three year olds where they've they discover the power of um, declaring um, things to be in their possession, right? They've, just, they've discovered the separate self-identity and, um, and they realize that, that, that uh, there's a benefit to pulling things into um, that gravitational field, right? This toy is mine, you know, I demand this now. I want attention now, you know, so that um, that sudden discovery that they are separate, they have needs and they uh, discover um, ways to get them, right? <laughs> if cuteness doesn't work, there's always, um, you know, just, um, you know, just a terror attack, <laughs> you know, just completely losing it in Walmart. <laughs> And uh, it usually works, right? It's enough to reinforce that sense of, yes, I'm a separate self and I can, um, I can manipulate other people um, like my parents. So just moving quickly ahead, we find ourselves um, in teenagehood. But a, a, along the way, there, there are times in our, especially in our early childhood, when, well, especially when big people aren't around, where we can fall back into um, almost that playful innocence, you know, where we can just um, be um, free of all of the shoulds and shouldn'ts and rules that are quite complex um, that adults are trying to um, impose on us. And we can just revert to just play, right? Or a daytime reverie. Um, we can do that with our young friends and it's a delight and then um, but we can't do it so well if adults are around, then we have to sort of toughen up and, you know, try to act our age. 
But then as we move into um, you know, later childhood, into teenagehood, then there's this whole um, movement to create, um, adopt an identity. You know, it's almost, uh, there's a bit of desperation there. Um, and, you know, people, it's almost like, um, what's that game where you go around in a circle and there's one less chair every time? Um, you know what that is? Anyway, um, you know, so in teenagehood, they sort of, um, some of the select identities are gobbled up pretty quickly. You know, the most popular you know, the, the, you know, the most athletic, the smartest one, uh, the most rebellious one, the funniest one. You know, so those sort of prime identities are, are taken up quickly. Um, and then so we're, most of us are left sort of scrambling to, um, you know, find some identity that sort of works for us, that we can sort of get away with, that we can, um, you know, put on that, that mask and have it feel okay and have other people buy into it, right? Whatever, whatever that identity is, but the important thing is to have one. Um, and along with this is an, another aspect of um, having been kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Um, you know, the, the, the pictures associated with that myth is often around nudity and, but the real issue is self-consciousness, right? where we suddenly realize that we have this apparently uh, individual self um, that we become quite concerned about. You know, we, um, we become conscious of this sense of self. So it's almost like there is this um, frequent, almost constant need to step out of ourselves and look back at ourselves and um, basically with the idea of how am I doing now? You know, am I being liked? Am I um, making friends? Am I making a good impression? You know, did I comb my hair right this morning? You know, all of, all of this sort of self-concern. Um, and, you know, that, that's the, um, uh, the other thing that didn't, wasn't happening in our infancy. We didn't even have any awareness of a separate self at all. And suddenly we're having to defend it, improve it, um, you know, fix it, you know, worry about our appearance of it, all of this. So all of this concern that's refocused on our own self. Um, and in, in the meantime, we're, we're trying to adopt an identity, sort of get ready for adulthood and um, I don't know about you, but I, I found, some people talk about how wonderful high school was. That wasn't my experience. My experience was high school was hard. You know, high school was really hard. And, um, but there's this, at some point you find yourself sort of um, being nudged into adulthood. And some of that might depend on how willing our parents are to foot the bill for a while. Um, but in any event, usually by in our 20s, sometimes we find ourselves uh, out there um, at least impersonating an adult. So that, that begins our third phase, adulthood. Right? A lot of people, you know, barely make it out of 
you know, the teenage phase. I mean, they look like adults and dress like adults, but, you know, they're not that far out of, you know, still trying to work on their image and defend their thing and yet being very self-conscious about it all the while. So as, as we move into adulthood, then um, we find ourselves at, at first being quite um, enthusiastic about that, right? Often, not always, but um, enthusiastic with finally getting to the role where we can be, um, be big people, you know, where we can make our own choices um, you know, take this body-mind out into the world for a test drive, see what it'll do, um, see how far it can go, how, how much it can learn, what it can um, become skilled at, you know, forming relationships, maybe forming families, having children, um, you know. And as we're doing this, there are certain characteristics that we have a sense of ourself, um, you know, our self-judgments, our ideas about the world, our opinions, our you know, philosophies, um, begin to, you know, gradually get more and more solidified. You know, you know, when we were younger, they were quite malleable, but as we, you know, sort of step into more responsible roles, they. Um, they tend to they tend to rigidify, maybe in a good way, you know, maybe in a highly functional way, um, you know, maybe in a highly um, you know creative way, or you know family oriented way, uh, different levels of responsibility, and and that can feel that can feel really good. Um, so it seems like a natural movement from. Um, you know, of this forming an identity and then just sort of carving our place out in the world. And that, in our culture, that's highly respected, right? You know, rugged individualism, you know, making our own way. Um, you know, that's, that's highly respected. Um, and so, you know, when we're moving out in the world like that, we have, we have the know, support of our culture, um, you know, to sort of keep going, you know, be, be responsible, um, you know, and with the promise spoken or implied that, um, you know, there's happiness down that road, just keep at it, more of it, you know, push harder, and uh, there will be rewards, trust me. You know, so there's, there's a lot of that you know, sort of cultural pressure to, to move in that direction. Not all of us take up on that, you know, <laughs> encouragement. We might rebel against it, you know, seek our uh, pleasures in different ways. Um, but with this move, with this outward movement, the other thing that's happening is that there is a crystallization of uh, this sense of um, individual personal self, right? So at this time, I mean, we have, um, you know, we have uh, history, we have a storyline, we have, um, you know, maybe a career, skills, 
um, you know, social situation. We have a car, maybe a house or someplace that we live. All of those things can um, somehow define us along with our hopes and dreams and feelings and fears and regrets and all of that seems to reside in this body-mind. And all of it points to culturally, um, <laughs> it presumes that because of all of those sensations, uh, memories, perceptions are appearing within this body-mind, there must be a separate self in there somewhere. That's, that's what gets crystallized. We, we, we never really even question that. We never did. It just sort of grew up when we grew up and, you know, and now um, if anyone talks about or questions this sense of separate self, um, it's an odd thing when we first encounter it. Like, really? I mean, how can that not be true? Right? So this um, sense of um, achievement and success and putting our life together and um, establishing a certain familiar pattern within which we function every day um, for a while feels very empowering, right? We're moving out into the world, finally getting our feet on the ground, you know, having a steady income, having a family perhaps. Um, that movement can feel, can feel good. And yet, there may come a time, maybe a decade later, maybe a few, where um, a lot of those accumulated aspects of our life is still, still intact, um, but they don't, they haven't paid off like um, we assumed they would. Right. They're, fam they're familiar, but it feels like we've sort of explored the extent of what is available in this lifetime um, and to, you know, explore further. We're, st we're just dealing in the same scope. Right? We may pursue different things, but they're still within that same um, you know, outgoing movement where we're trying to derive meaning and purpose from our life. And convince ourselves that um, that is what's happening. But over time, we, it it may begin as sort of a dull ache, almost like the first, you know, the first sensation, you know, way before the term toothache is appropriate, but the first sensation, oh, there's something a little, little different there. You know, nothing to do, you know, maybe it's nothing. Um, but over time, this sense of um, something's not, not, Quite enough. I mean, I, it it's almost could be phrased as, I, I wonder if this is all that life is about. You know, is that, could that really be true? And most of the time we say, no, that, that couldn't be true. Let's, um, you know, 
let's go out to dinner, let's do something enjoyable that'll perk me back up again. Um, you know, if that doesn't work, maybe a new car or a new um, relationship or who knows what, beach house, <laughs> vacation, that'll do it. You know, so over, over time, we, we, as we continue to move out looking for ways to satisfy this sense of separate self, um, it's almost like we have to keep feeding it somehow, keep feeding it either pleasure, pleasurable events or the possibility of pleasurable events. You know, it's not happening now, but next week it will be, or next month or next year or when I retire, or when the kids leave home, or when, you know, I get that new job, or when, you know, so this is, you know, efforts to sort of keep things alive and hopeful, like the, the pot of gold will be found. We just haven't gotten there yet. Um, but as time goes on, it becomes more and more difficult to convince us that simply more of the same will result in um, fulfillment. Right. And we may, at this point, we may be, um, you know, highly functional adults, grown up in every sense of the word, right? Good at what we do, responsible, um, community-minded, socially responsible, ethical, etc. We've got we've got the bases covered, <laughs> and yet there can still be this feeling like yes, and it's not quite enough. And has anybody felt like that? So we can be highly functional adults, but that doesn't necessarily lead to awakening. Awakening isn't a further improvement or adding on a philosophy to that or a belief system to that. It's not what waking up is. So we can be, you know, highly functional adults. There's some things from that efforting throughout a, you know, large part of our life that has um, perhaps a benefit to awakening, like just the ability to focus, um, you know, the ability to dedicate oneself. But often, you know, people who have pursued that level of, let's say, you know, what in corporate terms is called excellence, um, have gotten too comfortable, right? too comfortable to, to question it. So it's almost like they settle in for the duration. You know, life is, life might not be quite, quite as exciting as I had once hoped it would be, but it's, it's good. You know, I'll go with that. You know, it's, um, you know, I've had a good life. You know, I'll just, I'll just ride it out from here. So having, having that level of accomplishment doesn't necessarily lead uh, to awakening, might even be a barrier to awakening, where someone else 
um, might have had a, a really difficult childhood, a challenging life. Um, there might be a lot of motivation to wake up from that. Right? So it's not about um, you know, one's lifestyle. It's not about one's age. Um, it's, uh, there's no particular pattern of what may cause one person rather than another to step into um, a, a really true spiritual um, investigation. You know, so what what um, what I mean by true spiritual investigation might be compared to something that is just um, you know socially desirable, um, interesting, um, gives one a you know spiritual identity that can all be done within adulthood, right? Um, but if we uh, find that that adulthood is, even though it might be okay and feel pretty good, um, we might find ourselves feeling restless, um, like we're just not willing to settle in for the rest of our life. We really have to find out what what's going on here. We have an opportunity while we're alive to understand what this life is about. And um, we might find ourselves... Um, you know, sort of diving headlong into a process that we may not understand. Or we may be thrown into that by some calamitous event. You know, there's a, a saying that um, man's catastrophe is God's opportunity. You know, sometimes that's what it takes. But whether it, we get there from a point of um, being... Um, disillusioned with the promises made in terms of how uh, life will pay off in terms of contentment or feeling at home in this world um, or whether it's by some serious uh, event to our health or wealth or um, relationship or something. Whatever pushes us into that true spiritual search um, takes us out of, doesn't take us out of the realm of adulthood, but throws us into something that um, has um, has a momentum of its own once once we step into that field. So that's really um, the fourth possibility. Um, you know, not everyone makes it into, um, you know, fully functional adult. Very few actually um, take the leap even into a deep investigation of what they truly are. Even very few of the people who consider themselves spiritual seekers are actually in this phase after human adulthood where they're, they're really um, seeking not just to feel better, but to know what's actually true. They're, they're quite different things. So this uh, fourth possibility, it's, it's, really, it's really the possibility of full evolution within this lifetime. 
you know, it's not a matter of how many, how many lifetimes or how, many, how much karmic debt we have to pay off, etc. It's really how sincere are we to really look at what's living this, this life, this current life. That's the possibility. And so what is available to be seen is um, uh, seen that what is present um, is already um, fully available. What's preventing us from seeing it is all the accumulated um, beliefs and ideologies and um, history and thoughts that we've accumulated in a lifetime since infancy um, to, to see through that entire package. We don't have to do it one thing at a time, you know, like, um, you know, psychiatric work, you know, where we're solving this problem and, and then two more crop up. It's seeing that just the nature of that belief in a separate egoic self. And um, we can do that um, relatively easy, actually. It's not necessarily easy, but it's simple. Uh, it's as simple as that little exercise we did at the beginning when we just sensed into that awareness that is already present. That's, that's the practice. That's the, we, if we can stay with that one simple practice, it um, will be sufficient to really sense into what is that awareness. Is that awareness indeed what I am? Not just as a philosophical feel-good experience, but actually what I am, what is actually living this life. That's the possibility. When that's seen, what follows from that, maybe not immediately, but with time as the implications of that realization are fully penetrate this body-mind, um, is that there is a contentment there that's not dependent on whether we're having a good day or a bad day. It's just content. You know, there is a rekindlement of um, joy and awe and um, curiosity about life and uh, gratitude to be living this life, sense of aliveness, a sense of presence, sense of um, being at ease with oneself and in the world. You know, there's that, what we touch back into is that um, spaciousness that we had as infants, but this time with um, a knowingness from having explored um, our mind, these bodies, the world. So it's not the, um, you know, the innocence of an infant, um, but it is the spaciousness of that openness, that degree of receptivity, openness, um, but with the knowingness of 
how the world works, how this body, mind functions. Not, not all the biology, but just the, um, how our entire experience happens within this field of awareness. That, that realization sets us free from all that sense of identity and self-consciousness. And we can see that that is tied entirely to um, a belief that we have about this body-mind as being separate from the rest of existence. Right? It's almost like if we imagine life, you know, to be a, you know, one of those pie charts, you know, this tiniest of slivers over here is me, and then everything else is not me, right? That's how most of us view life. Um, but when we can see that that, what we call me, is only um, perceptions and experiences and thoughts and feelings um, appearing within awareness. All experiences, experiences of other people are the same. You know, so we begin to lose that distinction of what um, this particular body-mind is feeling as a thought or a feeling and see that it's in, in essence um, as an appearance within awareness, it's not really all that different from witnessing another person or a flower or a cloud or a hurricane or whatever, you know, this, they're all appearances. So this movement away from the sense of personal self, it sounds, um, sounds scary, right? It sounds like, well, how do I even do that? How, why would I want to give up something that um, I'm quite convinced of, for one thing, and it's so familiar? You know, I've spent a lifetime sort of polishing, um, you know, this particular egoic sense. Why would I give that up? Good question, right? <laughs> Why? Right? You'd only give it up if you had to. You wouldn't just give it up just because we don't know what we're giving it up for. That's the challenge of it. It's almost as if we feel like we're being asked to give up something and we don't know what we're going to get. <laughs> you know, there's... You know, we've heard stories, sure, about, you know, eternal bliss, and that would be nice. But how, how much can we really trust those stories? You know, it feels like we're giving up something real for something maybe. But th so the only, at the end of the day, the only reason that we <laughs> move in further in that direction um, is when we don't have any choice. You know, it's almost like life paints us into a corner where it's too late to go back and forget what we've seen, and yet going forward um, feels threatening. And at this point, I mean, I've, I've heard, um, you know, people say, well, how, how do I know I'll even feel like going to work? You know, how do I, how do I know I'll even feel like... Um, 
you know, taking care of my family? How do I know, you know, I might just not sit on the couch and stare out the window for the rest of my life. And the thing is that you don't know how that will look. But I can say that what is authentic in your life will not be lost. What is inauthentic in your life may be at risk, right? When we decide to step into, um, you know, what's, what's truly meaningful. I mean, I, I remember a point in my own life where it, it was real clear in a moment um, that I had a choice to, um, you know, sort of live out the dur duration in a state of quiet desperation or, um, or make a change, right? Or look at things, um, you know, um, take a chance and not knowing what would happen, right? Not knowing where that would lead to. Security here, no security there, right? And we can make whatever choice we make, but there is that possibility. Um, but the, the question is really like the, you know, if someone says, um, well, how do I know I feel like taking care of my kids if I'm, you know, if I wake up, right? But the implication of that is somehow I'll be of greater service to my kids if I remain asleep, right? If I remain oblivious to my true nature, somehow that is of greater service to my um, kids or to my partner, you know? It's clearly not true. So this this movement um, uh, where personal, this sense of personal self, which is just built on, it's just a, a constellation of thoughts that over a lifetime has convinced us is actually true, that there actually is a separate being in there somewhere. We can't quite pin it down, but in there somewhere, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, it's not in my hand, it's not in my foot, but somewhere in there, it's, um, I'm sure it is. <laughs> so that certainty about a separate self is what's at stake. And, um, you know, its demise um, can feel like a death. Not an actual death, but it's a like a psychological death. That's that's what it feels like. But what's it the death of? It's the death of a misunderstanding. It, it's the it's the seeing through maybe a familiar, comfortable, um, illusory belief in one's own separation, separation apart from the rest of the world. So there's um, a quote in the Gospel of Thomas, which is um, one of the Gnostic Gospels that um, didn't make it into the uh, Bible. Um, 
but it has some very interesting, um, it's all just quotes, Jesus quotes. One of the quotes is that heaven is spread upon the earth and people do not see it. You know, it's not, you know, he's saying it's not far away, it's not an afterlife, it's here now and we're missing it. And um, why are we missing it? <laughs> if, it's, if it's spread upon the earth, there's nowhere where it's not, right? How, how, can we, how can we not see that? And I'd suggest that it's because of this certainty of um, the existence of a separate egoic self that's hard to get rid of. <laughs> you, know, you might do battle with it, but it's persistent. Right? In the meantime, awareness is watching the whole drama It's not like the separate self wins that battle, you know, where we, 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 whoever that is, is victorious over this imaginary separate self. You can't do battle with an imaginary entity, right? What the resolution is to see that it's imaginary. Always, always has been then there's no battle, it's just over and done with. But it, like I say, it can feel like a death. Um, in Sufis, there's an expression, um, die before you die, so that you may truly live. Right? Now, if we're talking about physicality, it doesn't make any sense at all. Die before you die, well, what does that even mean if we're talking about physicality? So they're talking about something else. Die before you die so that you may truly live. You know, so what, what is being asked to be terminated is this um, false sense of me as an independent, separate being apart from everything else. The interesting thing is very similar um, sayings appear in quite a wide variety of uh, spiritual traditions. Um, um, again, back to uh, Jesus says, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses it will preserve it. So this the same thing. You know, if we try to hang on to the sense of who we are, um, you know, we'll expend our life and you know, without ever having seen what it was really about. But if we're willing to, um, you know, just step outside the capsule long enough to see what is really living this life, um, we can see that it never was the case. It's not that we have to fix it, improve it, earn merit, love it, have the right experience for it. It's just seeing that um, it never was who we were, never. We thought it was, we acted like it was. We were um, 
you know, sort of assumed that it was. The whole culture supported that belief, but it was never who we were. Okay, a couple of more quotes here. Um, this is from uh, uh, Zen master Banke. Um, All things are perfectly resolved in the unborn. So we're not talking about um, genetics here, right? We're not talking about, you know, our grandparents or everything is perfectly resolved in the unborn. So what's unborn? You know, clearly this body mind is born, has a lifespan and it will die. That, that, that much is certain, right? So what's unborn, uncreated, undying? The only possible candidate is awareness, right? Because it's, it's formless, as we said earlier, it is without form. All things having form whether a bird, a tree, a thought, a feeling, all have beginning a certain lifespan and, a, and an ending, right? The only thing within our experience, is not a thing, but the only um, thing within our experience is awareness, right? Formless, changeless, Unborn, undying. Right? All things are perfectly resolved in the unborn. Okay, one one last quote here. This is uh, Lao Tzu, um, you know, I don't know, sixth century BC Taoist Chinese. Uh, very specific, very clear. To die, but not to perish, is to be eternally present. Can't get much more clear than that. To die but not to perish is to be eternally present. So what, again, this death, it, sound, it sounds fearsome, right? You know, ego death. But all it is is the, um, the dropping away of an illusion once seen. Once it's seen, the nature of an illusion is to drop away. Once it's seen, we don't have to try to make it go away. You know, if we see a piece of rope in the grass and, you know, at first we're frightened because we think it's a snake and then we jump back and then we say, no, it's just a piece of rope. We don't have to try to get rid of the snake anymore. It's, the, it's just seeing, well, it's not, you know, it's just not, no longer an issue. It just never was, right? And it's the same with seeing um, this mistaken belief, this mistaken identity. That's it. It can feel, um, it can feel scary or wondrous, it can feel anything. It can feel 
uh, freeing, it can feel um, threatening, you know, all of those things are possible. But what's actually feeling those things is not the experience of recognition of our own awareness. It's actually um, our mind stepping back in and um, making a judgment about what was seen, making a judgment about the nature of awareness. Awareness itself is fine. It's not in any way fright <laughs> frightening or terrorizing. We've actually, all of us, our entire life have lived life from that awareness. We just took personal credit for it. So it's not, it's not actually new. It's just recognition of what is already the case. We're so convinced of our individual separate egoic self that it feels like a big deal. Feels like we're giving up the entirety of what we are. And we're not. You know, we're giving up a mistaken identity. That's what we give up. <laughs> 